we know a lot about Abraham. One of the things that many commentaries say about Abraham, the Bible says this about Abraham himself. He, he could also be known as the father of faith. In Romans chapter 4, it says, the faith of Abraham was what counted him righteous before God. We're going to see right out of the bat, right out of the gates, how Abram was a man of great faith. Many scholars would say even at this point in his life of chapter 12, he has not had a true conversion yet to the Lord, but we see his faith that was given to him by God. Another thing that it says about Abraham in James chapter 2, it's the only place in all the Bible that it could be said about this, this. He's the only man in the Bible that is a friend of God. Yes, Noah saw God face to face like a friend, but it says James, the writer of James, uh, says this in chapter 2, verse 23. He was a friend of God. His faith of and who God was created a relationship that very few have ever had with God. And it starts here in Genesis chapter 12. And so I want to talk to us this morning about his great faith. But I want us to look at three, four things. Where that faith comes from, it comes from God's call on his life. God's call requires faith to receive his blessing. We're going to see that in this passage, that he has to have faith to receive the blessings of God. Then we'll look at what it looks like to walk in obedience to God. Then we'll look at God's confirmation of his promises because of our faithfulness. And then we'll last look at where faith or where obedience in our faith we must and how it must lead us to worship. Let me pray for us this morning as we dive into God's holy and errant word. God, you're gracious and you're kind to us. You're good to us by providing your scriptures. They are inspired by you. They are without error from you and from your mouth. They have all authority. So God, I pray this morning as we look at this passage here in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 9, we look at this man, our father, Abraham, that we would see ourselves uh, in light of him and that, God, you would use your word to bring encouragement and conviction where we are like him and where we fall short in our faith that you require of us. So lead us this morning, guide us as we look at your holy word. I pray this in God's sweet name, his Savior, the Son of the world, Jesus. Amen. So let's look at Abraham and what God's call on Abraham was and how the call on Abraham and his obedience leads to blessing. Remember where we leave what had left off in Genesis chapter 11, Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 9 were the Tower of Babel. Remember that God had um, saved the people of God through Noah from the flood, that God had said, I want to bless the nations. He blesses the nations through Noah. The nations 
begin to grow and grow and grow. And then the nations gather together and say, hey, let us make a name for ourselves. Let us become popular. Let us become famous. Let us again become like God. And what does God do at the Tower of Babel? He disperses all the nations. And so we're left in Genesis chapter 11 wondering how the promises of God are going to become true again. That's been kind of the story since Genesis chapter 3. The moment that the, the sin of the world happened between Adam and Eve and the serpent, it, it seems a mystery how God is going to bless all the nations. It seems odd how God is going to redeem all the nations. And then we see these patterns of God's provision and God's calling of His people together. And then we see people sin and rebel against God. And then it leaves us questioning. That's where we're left again. That God has dispersed the people throughout all the nations. And we are left wondering, how is God going to fulfill His promises? Because we know God is true to His promises. Amen? And I, I don't know if you're like me, but there's often times that the promises of God just don't seem like they're ever going to become true. And so that's where we're left here in Genesis 12. But it's always, God's promises always starts with God's call. He calls Abraham. We see that in the text. Remember we had spent last week looking at the genealogy of uh, all the way from Shem, the promised one from Noah, and how that line would get us to Abraham. We looked at how we ended up at Abraham. So now here we're at Abram, before he's renamed Abraham. And it says this, that remember that Abram and his dad and his wife, Sarah, and his nephew and their families had left where God had dispersed them and sent them. And so now they're on this journey. And they settle in this land, Haran. And then he says to Abraham in verse 1, he says this, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. So we first see this. God's call on Abraham's life. Abraham did not go to God and say to God, hey, where do you want me to go? I'm your guy. No, God chose Abraham out of all the people of the land to make sure his promise was going to be fulfilled, that the nations would be blessed and the Savior of the world would come. And so God uniquely chose Abraham out of all the people of the world to go. And it says this. God came and called Abraham. And what was the call on his life? The call on his life was this. To go. And to leave three things. His country. The, the place he knew. The place he was familiar with. His kindred. His people. And then lastly, his family. So we know that God's call on your life and God's call on my life will always require faith. See, the text says to us what Abraham's going to leave, but it does not say to us what he's going to be given in response to what he leaves. So he says, God says to Abraham, hey, Abram, go leave these things, the things that you're most familiar with, the place you find most security in, the place that all of your provisions are at. That's what he's saying in the text. Hey, leave your country. Now, some of y'all have been here in Murfreesboro forever. 
Like you were born here, like within a stone's throw of this building. Now, if God said, hey, come and leave Murfreesboro, you would be like, oh, man, that, that's a little bit off. I can see your faces already. Like if, if God came and said, hey, I want you to leave Murfreesboro. Like you're like, uh-oh. What? And then if God said, not only do I want you to leave Murfreesboro, but now I want you to leave all your fam- I want you to leave all of your kinfolk behind. Like I, I've been here long enough at Powell's Chapel. Like family's a big deal here. And what if God said, hey, I want you to leave Murfreesboro. I want you to leave your kinfolk. And then he goes one step beyond that. I want you to leave your mama and your daddy. Like you don't mess with people's mama and daddies around here. But that's what God is saying. Hey, Abram, I want you to leave everything that's familiar with you. But here's what God doesn't do in the passage. He doesn't say to Abram, hey, when you leave all this, this is where you're going to go and this is where you're going to go hang out. He doesn't give him the flip side to the corn. He simply says to Abram, you got to leave it all. See, that's required. There is a requirement of faith to that. Remember what Hebrews says about faith. Hebrews is what is hoped for, what is unseen. Now, I don't know about you. We're going to get to it in the passage. I don't know if my response would have been necessarily what Abram's response was. I would have received the message from the Lord to go, and then I would have sat down on my desk and came up with a formula of what that would have looked like. So you want me to leave this, Murfreesboro. Now, how am I going to replace Murfreesboro with what? So I'm going to start walking through all the places I can replace then my family, then my church, then everything. I'm going to go from point A to point B. I'm going to be real strategic about that. I'm not saying strategy is a bad thing, but having strategy doesn't require a whole lot of faith. It requires a whole lot of brain, but not a whole lot of trust and faith. And I tend to operate more out of that department than I do the faith department. I want to make sure, man, everything's going to be in order when I obey God. Anyone else there? Like, I'll obey God if I can make sure it's going to work out to my favor. I'm just being honest. And that doesn't look like that on the outside. It looks like, man, he's got a lot of faith. But internally, it's like I have a lot of faith because I know it's going to work out for me. And that's what Abraham does not do. We'll get to that place in the passage. Here's what Uh, John Calvin says about this, and it's so true. He says, Abram was asked to believe and obey the bare word of God or the naked word of God. Meaning, he only knew to leave something and to go somewhere that he had no idea where he's going, because that's what it says. He says, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. Like, there's no details about the land that he's going to show them. Just leave what you know that's very familiar to you, that's very safe to you, and then head out and take all of your stuff on a journey. And I'll tell you when to stop and where to stop. Like, don't take a map with you, basically. Don't take your checklist with you. Just get up from here and go. It requires 
faith. This ought to remind us of what Christ tells us in Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Let's turn there for a moment. Studying this passage this week and this in particular passage from Christ. Super convicting. Mark chapter 8 verse 34. Ought to sound like a very familiar passage in light of this passage. It says, in calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And for what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words is in, adult, is in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory and with his Father in heaven and the angels. What, what Jesus is saying in this passage is you have to lose and leave everything behind. In another passage, he says this, you've got to leave your mama and your daddy and your brothers and your sisters. And I just wonder for me in my own life, when God calls me to something, am I acting in obedience or am I acting in strategy? Like, am I really willing to leave everything behind to follow God? You see, to follow God will require a ton of faith. Do we have that faith? But here's what happens in the response when we follow God and we act in obedience to God. God's going to share with Abraham, if you respond and you will leave and you will act in obedience with your faith, I promise you, you will receive a blessing. So he calls them to something, doesn't tell them where he's calling them to, but says, hey, if you go, I promise there's a blessing waiting for you when you get there. He says, here's the blessing. I'll show you the land that you will go when you get there. Verse 2, he says this, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be now again that sounds like a sweet promise does it not that sounds like a sweet blessing but remember if you skip back up to chapter 11 verse 30 it says this and so abraham has to be thinking how am i going to have a great name for myself and how am i going to be a great nation because hey on paper i don't see how that's going to happen because on paper what is true is this in verse 11, verse 30 of chapter 11 says this, that his wife was barren and could not have children. So now all of a sudden God says, I'm going to bless you and make you a great nation, and I'm going to make your name great. And Abram has to be sitting there in his tent thinking, well, A plus B, there's no way it's going to equal C. So God, you're telling me you're going to bless me and make my name great. You're going to tell me you're going to make me a great name. But the facts say that's impossible. Now we read the passage and forget that what is truthful in the story is his wife cannot have children. And we go right to chapter 
to 12, verse 2, where we start saying, yes, yes, yes. And yet Abraham had to be thinking, what, what, what? How is that possible? And I wonder in my own life, how often God shares blessings and doesn't compute with my brain cell. Here's what God promises, and yet I go back to my list. I say, that can't happen. Well, that automatically shows where my faith and what God is calling me to. Do I have more faith in the facts? Or do I have more faith in what God has said He will do? Because we know this, God's promises always come true. And I don't know where you are in your life, but are you simply looking at the facts? You see, the facts are this. When you're diagnosed with cancer, the facts say this, it doesn't look good. Like when you get your bill and all that has gone on, I think of Andrew and Tiffany, the facts are it's not looking good for them. And so we can go to facts and look at our facts and say that it just doesn't look promising. But the promises don't rely on facts when it comes from God. And yet we'll see Abraham's heart even in the mystery. It's a very cool thing what happens in this passage. In this passage, five times the word blessed occurs. Five times in the first three verses of chapter 12. Up until this point in all of the Bible, chapter 1 through 11, you know how many times blessing occurs? Five times. Five times in 11 chapters. Now, five times in three little verses. God is faithful to His promises. And then He gives them seven promises. Remember the, na- the number seven. We've talked about this before. The number seven is the number of completion. So now God is going to give him a complete promise, if you will. Those seven promises are this. The seven promises of God that will require faith from Abraham to come true in his obedience is this. That God promised him to be a great nation. That all the nations will look to this great nation. That he will be the most blessed of all the nations. We see that play out. It's still being played out today. Some 6,000 years after this promise. I can't imagine being 77 years old and someone telling me to get up and go. Right, Miss Opal? Like, you want to go anywhere? Where you want to go? Let's go, Miss Opal. I got you. I mean, go and stay gone. Not like going on a trip. Like, pack your stuff up. Yeah, that's right. But faith, we must obey. He's 77 years old. And he has a wife who can't have children. And yet he turns to his wife and says, you're coming with me because God has made me a promise. And God has made us a promise. I just wonder, church, for us, if God calls us to something, no matter all the facts, will we go the way Abraham went? Well, here's the scary part about going. 
So Abraham leaves because he acts in obedience to God's call on his life despite the circumstances. He gathered his stuff, he gathered his people, he gathered his belongings. And it says this in chapter 12, verse 5 at the end. And they had set out to the land of Canaan. And they went and came to the land of Canaan. Circle that word in your Bible. Remember the Canaanites? The Canaanites were who to the Israelites? They were their biggest adversary. Like, wait, God, now, now you're calling me to leave everything I know and to go to my enemies? You're calling me to go to the people that possess the land that you promised you'll give me? You see, when we act in obedience to God and we have faith in God, don't be surprised when opposition comes. So there will always be opposition in our obedience, which requires more faith. Because if you're Abraham, if I'm Abraham, I look and see the enemy and think, this is impossible. Like I'm 77 years old. I have a wife who can't have children. We'll find out the character of Lot here in a couple chapters. He's not the most loyal, faithful guy on the planet. And now he comes head to head with his enemy. And he faces opposition. But in the opposition, he doesn't turn and run. He continues to go. And then God says to him as a way of promise in verse 7. God confirms His promise to the faithful. Like I, I'm, if I'm Abraham in this moment, I, I need some like confirmation, right? Anyone else would need confirmation? And so God confirms His promise, and then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, "Hey, to your offsprings, I will give this land." Like in his lowest moment, Abraham needed the Lord's confirmation about his obedience. Anybody ever been there before? Like you're obedient, you keep hitting obstacle after obstacle after obstacle after obstacle, and you just get downright discouraged? And you just need to hear from the Lord? Anyone ever heard that phrase or said that phrase before? I just wish I could hear from the Lord. Like I'm discouraged, I want to hear from the Lord. That's where Abraham was at. And Abraham sees God and God says, hey, I made a promise to you and I'm going to fulfill that promise. Now the likelihood that God's going to show up and do that in your midst is probably rare. God is probably not going to show up face to face and appear to you in that way. But here's what we know to be true about God. God left us His promise. You want to hear from God? Open His Word. You want to hear what God has for you and all the promises God has for you? He doesn't leave any of them out. Page after page after page after page after page. God is still in the business of confirming His promise to His faithful. But its primary way of doing that is through His Holy Word. This isn't something we should come to. This is the thing we must come to for confirmation when we are discouraged and when we are encouraged to hear from God. God wants to and desires to talk to us. His primary way of doing that today is through His Word. 
I would say this, his secondary way of doing that is through the church, one another. That happened to me just yesterday morning. If you were able to join us yesterday, the men's prayer breakfast, God's word was confirmed to me just as we ate. But man, that sweet time of prayer, I left so encouraged hearing the voices of other people in the presence of God. I'm grateful for those five guys that were in my circle yesterday praying with me and for me because I was confirmed in the promises of God that he is still faithful and true to us. Which leads us to the last point. When we act in obedience to God, when we encounter opposition from the enemy, when God confirms his promise to us, what must our response be? Look what Abraham's response was after the confirmation of the Lord. We see it two times. He says, to your offspring, I'll give this land. So he built there an altar to the land who appeared to him. And from there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And so our only response, when God shows up and God calls us, when we act in obedience to him and we continue to see God fulfilling his promise, our only response is to worship. That is what the altar meant. The altar was a sign to the people of God in the presence of God that they would worship a holy God. And I just wonder in my life, I wonder in your life, and then I wonder in the life of the church, when God has done all these things, how often in my life is my response not to worship God, but to continue going on as if I'm the one that accomplished those things. Like, I'll beg for God to do things. I'll beg God to show up. I'll beg God to fulfill His promises. And then the moment He fulfills His promise, what do I tend to do? I don't tend to stop and pause and worship God. I continue to say, yes, look what I've done. Now, I don't say it quite that way, but that's how I say it in my heart. Because I give no recognition to where and who the promises and the blessings of God come from other than myself. And so we must pause when God shows us and fulfills His promises in our lives. We must pause and worship a holy God. We must be a people to worship God. But if we're honest with ourselves this morning, our tendency is not to pause and worship God. Our tendency is to pause and worship ourselves like we accomplished anything. No, it's only the faithfulness of God and His faithful promises to us that anything good in your life happens. It's not that the doctors saw the cancer. It's that God's holy divine revelation to those doctors they saw the cancer. It's not the doctors that took the cancer out of your body. It's God that used the doctors to remove that cancer. And on and on and on and on we go. It wasn't luck that that Tiffany and Andrew's house got ripped apart and they didn't get sucked up out of it. It was the hand of God on that piece of property. And on we could go. But do we stop and do we worship a holy God for what He has done to us and continues to do for us? Our only response is will we build an altar to the Lord when He appears to us? 
You see, he appears to us every single Sunday morning here. Like the presence of God is in here. And are we worshiping the presence of God? Are, are we going to God's word for confirmation about his promises? And so for us, application this morning is this. Is God calling you to leave the comforts of your place to go and do something? I don't know what that is, but is He calling you? And will you act in faithful obedience to Him in spite of if He shows you what the next ten steps will be? And then will you and will I believe in God and walk faithfully obedient to that call? despite the opposition? Will we continue to go to God's word for his confirmation? And as he confirms it, will we be a people that worship a holy God? Here's what I do know. If you're an unbeliever here this morning, the call in your life is this. It's what he said in Mark chapter 8. If anyone would come after me, you've got to deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Whoever wishes to save his life, will lose it, but the one who loses the life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So that's true first for the unbeliever. But then for us, the believer, what are we willing to forsake for the gospel and the call of obedience to God on our life? Let us be like Abraham. Let it be counted to us as righteousness because of our faithfulness. Let me pray.